Wertes in der Kleinstadt Winden ein Junge auf mysteriöse Weise verschwunden. Die Frage ist nicht, wer die Kinder entführt hat, sondern wann. Das Ende ist der Anfang. Und der Anfang ist das Ende. Tick, tick. Du wirst alles verstehen, wenn es an der Zeit ist zu verstehen. Tick, tick. Aber jede Entscheidung für etwas ist doch immer eine Entscheidung gegen etwas. Hello. 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 Welcome to the Dark Companion Podcast. I'm Merkels. I'm PB. And I'm Acorn. Shall we begin? Yay! Yay! Before we dive in, I just want to quickly say that this is a companion podcast um, and not a watch along. So you definitely want to have watched the show um, and be hungry for more discussion, more theories, more deep dives. We've also chosen to run the podcast as more of a discussion between friends. If you would like to be a part of our conversation, feel free to email us at darkcompanionpod at gmail.com or tweet at us at Radio Winden. Now, today's episode is Nothing is in Vain, Noah. Yeah! <laughs> I, I'm not going to lie. I am very happy uh, to be spearheading this episode. <laughs> I was sure it wasn't going to be me because I know that PB is also a huge, mm -hmm. desperate fan of Noah. I, I, yes, it's true. It's true. He's my favorite character from the show. I Watching the show, I was like, Noah's it, the end. <laughs> Murder me, Noah. Murder me. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I've got some very exciting things in this episode. But before yes. we get into it, I have a question for oh, you. Boy. <laughs> Are you guys, are you guys I ready? I gotta admit, I'm a little bit nervous from last time, but yes, I'm ready. <laughs> I mean, this one is probably going to be pretty meaty as well. So I guess prepare, but. Have you seen, wait, I'm so sorry to do this. Have you seen the TikTok or the video on Twitter going around of the girl who so expertly plays an angel and then also God and is like, no. oh my God. Oh, yes. Did you make yes, the. Yes, I have. Did, hey there. Angel, oh, yes. Meteor. Did you make the dinosaurs meteor? Like I asked, you know, more muscly and wait, muscly meteor. No meteor. Meteor. <laughs> and meteor. they just go back and forth. It's so good. Okay. I'm sorry. We will have to we'll include, include that in the, in the show, show notes for sure. Okay, guys, are you ready for your question? Mm -hmm. Yes. Tell me about paradise. That's a good question. Oh, man. Um, like our paradise, what it would be for us. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. a really good question. I think I have an answer. Tell me. Well, if we're talking about paradise on Earth, you know, because obviously there's paradise that I am basically on a space station that moves around. And but we're not talking about that. So paradise on Earth is probably as close as I can get was Tropical Island, Hawaii is what I'm thinking of originally with my hubby. And we are sitting like on a balcony overlooking the water. There's, I'm literally thinking of a specific condo I almost bought and I regret not buying, but it had a view of the ocean and I could hear the sounds of the cicada, which I grew up with as well. So I find it very, reminds me of home. I know most people hate that sound, but I love it. And we have maybe made some toast Hawaii or something. Like we have food. <laughs> uh, I have a book and my cats are there and it's peaceful and quiet and it smells like fruity trees and hibiscus and my friends live nearby, which doesn't make sense, but this is a fantasy. So that's fine. Everyone <laughs> managed to live in the same compound. We can walk next door. Say hello. 
get some salt or play some board games. Yeah, that's that's probably probably it. I love that. Yeah, that's probably super revealing, but <laughs> I don't think it's that revealing. I don't think it's more revealing podcast, than some of the things that yes, we've, talked, we've about. talked about. Yeah, probably. Yesterday was pretty brutal. How about you, Acorn? Oh, man. My mind went to a similar place. So mm-hmm. to me, I think it would be, I want to say ruins, but it's not quite ruins as in like a building that's decomposing, but more like the structure of ruins. I guess it's maybe just the older architecture I'm thinking about. Oh, um, that like brutalism where it's the concrete and then you've got the greenery. Yeah. Like all around it. Yeah. Yeah, that's what they, I'm thinking. They call that they call that brutalism, which I didn't realize until I got super into looking at like uh oh, architecture okay. and stuff. Yeah. Where it's like concrete buildings, but then they usually have lots of greenery and the new brutal brutalist architecture is like um you know, the very square, almost like boxcar looking like houses, and then they will have forest around them or they make it look like an apocalyptic style, you know, greenery has overtaken your building, but it's, it's really not. It's brand new. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Oh my God. I've never heard that term, but I'm, I just Googled it. And yeah. You're right. I didn't know it either. A friend told me crazy. when I was describing something that he was like, it's brutalism. And I was like, oh what? my God. Or no, he said, I think he was just like, oh, brutal. And I went, Okay, that's a weird way to <laughs> use that slang. And he was like, "No, brutalism, architecture." Went, oh, very nice. Didn't know it was called that. Yeah, yeah. I think definitely like less modern, but that concept, mm-hmm. this like structure, this building that has a lot of space, maybe like really high ceilings, and like a giant tree growing out of the middle, and just like ivy and different types of plants coming down the walls, and lots of sunlight filtering through the lattice work of of the trees and the plants and having bookshelves built into the walls with as many books as I could possibly read. Maybe like a little fountain or a small like tranquil pool near the the tree. Um, and just having it be, having it feel extremely peaceful. Like when you're there, you yeah. don't have anything else to rush, rush off to. There's nothing else to do other than just be at peace and read and fill yourself up with nature and, and just knowledge that's, that's glorious beautiful yeah yeah what about you mergs i think a really nice bathtub <laughs> a glass of wine maybe a storm outside the window yeah i woke up to a storm today and it was perfect oh, i was like i'm glorious. just not gonna get out of bed yeah. it's the rain you know we had the balcony oh, door open so i could hear it and, oh yeah oh yeah and then the whole sky was just like foggy it was just beautiful it was beautiful i think like that that atlantic ocean brutalness you know yeah. you know that savage wild atlantic ocean yeah rocks and sort of gray that sort of thing and some sort of cabin or cottage and my partner being there and I don't know just a nice evening and a really nice bath with some candles and some wine which is great because honestly I can do that whenever so I'm pretty close to paradise anyway (laughs) I love the idea of finding moments of paradise too because I think that that's something that I look for like a bowl of ramen a good bowl of ramen that's paradise truly you know yeah so little bits like that I think that's that's a very powerful thing to do for yourself in your life is to, you know, th- identify those kinds of moments for yourself and repeat them or realize, recognize, even just yeah. recognizing 
that that's you call that paradise. You know what my most recent paradise is? Mm. Um, so there's this the grocery store that I go to. They have this. Sn- I guess it's like a snack. It's like pepperoncinis, like spicy pepperoncinis that are pickled mm-hmm. green ones. And then they're stuffed with cream cheese. My goodness. And they're like spicy and oily and vinegary and creamy all at the same time. My most recent paradise, like a queen, is to run a bath, light some candles, glass of wine, reading Anita Blake (laughs) in the bath while gingerly placing these pepperoncinis into my mouth and just like heaven. Absolutely. That sounds like bliss. (laughs) I love it. That does sound pretty good. Yeah. It's true bliss. It's paradise. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's very paradise. You know, I think the way that we think of paradise is just like comfort and peace and freedom and I guess for me, paradise also includes some sort of special decadence, no matter what that decadence is, whether it's truly decadent or if I feel it is decadent. You know, I think decadence is also a way of feeling. So So good. Yeah, that was a good question. Now, what do you think paradise is to them? I know what paradise is to Noah. Das Paradies ist frei. That's heaven, right? From the Bible. That's the description of heaven from the Bible, isn't it? Is that the exact description of the Bible? Yeah. Very similar. I think it's I think it's pretty similar. Yeah. Where the dead yeah. will walk again, yeah. I think, is a is a description of paradise and there is no pain or which chaos. makes sense, b- him being a priest. I'm playing in a D and D campaign, by the way. The GM is a huge fan of Dark and we killed we killed chaos i'm sorry to just interrupt and derail this but i just thought it was super awesome because it was like chaos it's D, right so it's fantasy and magic is ruled by this entity or this god this god of chaos and then we fucking killed this god of chaos now magic is dying and i'm just think sitting here think i'm constantly thinking about noah and dark and and paradise and the hunt for that and like you know, just like what happens if chaos is dead in all of this? Is it now going to become more like dark where it's everything's predetermined and, you know, you kind of have this like set. It's basically, I think about dark a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I think about like how everything in the show relates to everything else I'm doing. And then I found $30. Please continue with Noah's Paradise. (laughs) Well, the thing about Noah is that he is why don't we do a quick, I'll do a very quick, pretty loose uh, Mm -hmm. timeline description. We're not going to get super into details because Noah's timeline and his interweaving of the timeline is very complex, but I'll give the Cliff's Notes quick summation. He was born in 1904 to Bartosz and Celia, where he is raised in Sigmundus Creatus Est. He's indoctrinated very, very young, and he assists in helping build the Winden Caves time portal. He kills his father, Bartosh, when he's 17 because Bartosh is starting to lose the faith, which I, you know, I question whether Bartosh really ever had the faith, yeah. But, but yeah, for sure. And then he meets with his older self right after killing his father, and he begins a journey of going into the future, meeting Jonas there, saving Elizabeth, meeting with Elizabeth, you know, getting together with Elizabeth. Him and Jonas are good friends. And he spends decades there in the future with Jonas, trying to build the time portal in the nuclear power plant with Claudia. 
after decades of doing this, he's beginning to start to doubt Claudia and doubt Claudia's authenticity, or he believes that she is sabotaging them. And then his daughter Charlotte goes missing. Once his daughter Charlotte goes missing, he believes that it's Jonas and and Claudia because Adam had told him one day Jonas is going to betray you. He goes and finds Adam. Adam tells him, yes, Claudia is the sole responsible person for Charlotte missing. And I will help you get Charlotte back if you do this for me. He was always sort of dedicated to Sigmundus Creatus S. But at this moment, he decides in order to get his daughter back, he goes back in time to 1953, where he becomes the priest of St. Christopher's Church in Winden. Of course, St. Christopher being the patron saint of travelers. And he is the priest there as Hanno Tauber for the time period in 1950. He then gets Helga to help him through, you know, time jumping, future Helga. And he has Helga help him abduct boys in order to run experiments on the time machine with them. And this is something that I found out that I did not really understand when I watched the show. So this might be a me thing. (laughs) He never deliberately murders anyone. He is running experiments. They die while going through the time travel machine. And Helg is the first boy who actually is able to time travel with that machine. I did know that. Yeah. One of the other things that I found out in doing my research was that the time travel machine in question is, in fact, the time travel machine that is used by Adam in the Sigmundus Creatus S, like his lair. That time machine, that portal that he has, which can break the cycle, you can travel to any time outside of the 33 years with that machine, is the final result of the time machine that Noah was building in the bunker. Yeah. Noah's building, yeah. yeah. That didn't... That so, one that he puts Martha in, right? Yeah. That yep. didn't come together for me until I was researching for this because once I started looking at the timeline, I was like, wait, where does this chair come in? They already have the portal in the caves. They already have mm-hmm. the time machine that Tanhouse makes. What's the point of this chair? And you're right. It was the origin of time travel. It was the first experiment that led to the technology that allowed them to have that time machine in Adam's lair down the road. Even though it came chronologically like in time before that, because they were building it in, you know, 1920s and whatever, 1800s, the technology itself, the experiments began in 1986 in the bunker. Which is insane because I did not, I, I mean, when I was doing research as well, I did not know that that chair was the one that Adam was using later on, which made more sense to me because, again, they don't really like show you what the result of that chair is. Right. Yeah. Uh, or they don't tell you this like, oh, this is Adam needs this chair. And that's why he's getting Noah to do all of this stuff, yeah. because he knows the chair is going to become the portal that he can travel, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. You know, so yeah. when I found that out, I was like, oh, my God. So after he does all of this, he's sending children back doing all of this experimentation, he's given the responsibility of finding the last pages. And the last pages are to reveal some big, massive piece of information. And he believes that, you know, he finds out through Agnes that Claudia has these last pages. He goes and he kills Claudia. During this whole time, he has this hatred for Claudia, which is not super apparent. But when you realize that Adam was like, oh, Claudia is the one who's responsible for stealing Charlotte, you understand why he hates her so much. 
When he gets those pages after killing Claudia, he looks at the pages and realizes that Adam had actually been lying to him this whole time, that he was not trying to save everyone. He was trying to bring the apocalypse. And in fact, Charlotte was there under his nose the whole time as Charlotte. And Adam knew that this entire time. Yeah. yeah. So that's a huge moment for him. He then goes to confront Adam, runs into his younger self, and he says, If you knew what I know now, you wouldn't do what you must, which enables me to get to this moment, believing that he's about to kill Adam. Yeah. But of course, because of the way that they handle time travel or time loops in the show, he is unable to kill Adam. His gun does not go off. And his sister Agnes comes out and shoots him. And he dies on the floor, bleeding out beneath St. Christopher's Church. Yeah. It's, (laughs) he's just the best. I'm so upset. I was I know. so upset. I was like, I'm done with the show. He was the best <laughs> fucking character. Like, what? And then, you know, uh, my partner was like, well, honey, it's a time travel show. I'm sure he'll be in season two somehow. <laughs> I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's he's truly amazing. Because Hanno is born to Bartosh and Celia, and his mother actually dies in childbirth with his sister Agnes, at that time, Jonas is already Adam. Yeah. And we see him becoming Adam just before, you know, when Celia is a young girl. So at this point, Adam is already pulling the strings and knows what needs to be done to get Noah involved. So he's indoctrinated into this group very young. Yeah. He is incredibly pious and loyal. Like he really dedicates his life to Sigmundus Creatus S and to Adam. He believes that everything he does has a purpose, nothing is in vain. And he believes these things because Adam told him so. It's a heartbreaking thing when you believe something your whole life. And then at some point you realize that that's not the way and you've been lied to this whole time. Also, I'm curious as to why we have so much empathy for him, because objectively he does a lot in the show that is unacceptable. Yeah. He does a lot of things that are twisted and messed up and... I'll tell you, I still had empathy for him before diving into his character and finding out all of the ways in which he was manipulated and stuff. I mean, you you feel that manipulation in the show. But one thing that I'm going to put in the show notes is uh, a reference that I had someone on uh, YouTube actually put together a Noah chronological POV video which is every scene of Noah put in chronological order. And it's kind of mind-blowing to watch because you suddenly start getting these waves of understanding of like how indoctrinated he was, how manipulated, how lied to. Even right after he kills his father and he's sitting in the pew crying and his older self comes to him and says, I'm your voice, I've been here before, it will pass. You know, it's all part of the cycle and you you needed to do what you've done. In that scene, he also says you learn to listen to your instinct. Mm. Right. Only you can really know. Yeah. Yeah. He The advice he gives his younger self is great advice. Like, you know, you you know, because you feel it, you follow your instinct. And I think, too, like, could you first of all, indoctrination and, you know, we, we have cults that we can look at and see how kids grow up in a situation where they don't understand the way the world works or, you know, have no concept of how the world really works because they grew up, you know, in an enclosed environment. Well, think about that with Noah, for example, Hanno growing up in this environment, but then also finding out time travel is real and nobody else around you knows and believes it. Of course, you would think Adam is God. 
Yep. Of course. It's indoctrination 101 because it yeah. alienates you from everyone yeah. else around you. The only yeah. people that can that you can connect to or feel knows you for who you are are people who are also a part of this group. Yeah, which brings it back to last week's episode where Helg says, I thought you were someone who could understand me yeah. when he reaches out and gives Claudia the book. So Hanno doesn't really have that until Elizabeth. But even Elizabeth is caught in yeah. everything. And it's so twisted too how he, his older self becomes a mentor to his younger self because there's this like perversion of trust and guidance that happens because mm-hmm. Noah is indoctrinated and brought up a certain way and then passes on that knowledge and this ideology, I guess, and this belief and everything to his younger self. And his younger self trusts him because it's himself, which is another thing. I think there's, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think there's any other character in this show aside from the unknown who actively works with themselves at a different age. True. Yeah, I think you could make an argument that the stranger and Adam and Jonas have a connection with each other. And well, of course, but they don't actively work together. They're yeah, not working true. side by side the way Noah is with his younger self yeah. sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Like they, they're just like existing together. Yeah. And so like, think about this. We've, we've talked about time travel and like, what would you do if you could go back in time, et cetera, with ourselves? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know about you, but if I were to meet myself when I was older, I would trust myself because it is me. And I know that that future self has the same or should have the same desires and wants and needs that I do. And so that's what really like makes me feel uneasy is the fact that younger Noah trusted his older self so much when both of them were being led astray the whole time. Yeah. Well, I think as well, it's this idea. I think Noah fundamentally, his motivations are the same. It's the information that he has outside of those motivations, but he truly does still believe that he is going to bring everyone he loves onto this ark and get his daughter right. back and protect them from what's going to happen. I totally agree with you. It's this sort of idea of being an unreliable narrator. Mm -hmm. Like how much of an unreliable narrator are we of our own lives now, of our own lives then? How much can we really know? How wise can we really be? And, you know, I think that he tries to do his best for himself, even the moment at the very end where he turns to his younger self right before he believes he's going to kill Adam. And he says, I can't tell you, you need to become me in order to complete this, in order to to do this. But it's another example in this show of people committing to the cycle and not realizing that everything they do by supporting the cycle continues to support the cycle. (laughs) And had he just turned to his younger self in that moment and been like, don't trust Adam, you don't know what would have happened. That's what's done so masterfully in this show. The whole time, like the whole two seasons, you're hoping that things can be changed. You're rooting for the characters to alter the course of time and to correct it or break free or something. And yet there are so many times in the show where the creators show you that's impossible. Like the gun, twice, young Noah hands young or traveling Jonas, a loaded gun, and Jonas tries to shoot himself in the head and it doesn't go off. Then Noah takes it from him and shoots the wall, showing that it's literally impossible for you to change the course of time because it's already happened. Which is such a moment. Yeah. And like, I almost forgot about that scene, which is, I think, illustrates my point, how they literally tell you 
and show you multiple times yes, that he won't be able to and do yet this. you're still yeah. like hoping things will be able to be changed and so i think it's actually brilliant because it's putting the audience in the mental state of the characters who are just constantly hoping that they'll be able to break free and to change even though the evidence is in front of their face yeah yeah that narrative of him being the one to tell Jonas that he cannot be killed or shot, that he can't die. And then him being the one who then goes to Adam to do that and cannot kill him. It's just this crazy moment of, you know, it's almost as if Adam is like, you taught me this. Yeah. You taught yeah. me that you can't kill me. Oh, you know? God. No, that's right. Because Jonas yeah. turns into Adam. God, that's so twisted. Yeah, yeah, it's incredibly twisted. There's a lot of twistiness in Noah's story. I mean, the fact that he recruits his own dad. That what? So well, his dad he, was in it, right? His dad was part of Sigmundus Creatus S. He recruits oh, like when Bartosz in the car in 2019. Oh, oh shit. sorry. Yes, Bartosz. when he's young. Yeah. Yes, sorry. When yeah. he's young. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Noah recruits his own dad, Bartosz in the car, by convincing him that I know we seem bad, but you know we're actually on the yeah. side of light, and Claudia and Jonas are not. Yeah. And he your uses, grandmother is evil. <laughs> yeah. He uses the beef sort of between Jonas. Like it's it's honestly super fucked up because you and we'll talk about it more on Jonas slash Adams episode, but. The fact that Adam knows there is an issue between Bartosz and him, young Jonas and Bartosz. So Noah, come and tell him that young Jonas and Claudia are evil and he'll join yeah. our side. Play into his current emotions. Yeah. 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 Um, question. When young Noah killed Bartosz when they were outside the caves in 1921, Noah knew that was his father, right? I think so. Because yeah. we as the audience didn't well, know. Well, Bartosz raised exactly. him. Exactly. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. yeah. I think for a while, because the show disconnected that information, we didn't know that that was Bartosz and it was just some guy from the cult dying. Yeah. Like yeah. the yeah. distance of that reveal didn't make me connect that Bartosz and Celia had Noah and Agnes and they grew up together except for you know Celia dies but like Bartosz yeah. raised them so no one knew yeah. that was his father and that's what I think heightens that scene so much more because he was knowingly yeah. committing patricide yeah. yeah and then you know he talks to himself afterwards and is like don't worry the feelings will pass yeah. like what <laughs> yeah but he he says there in that scene which I think means that he's no longer living with Bartosz because he says to him Ask why Adam took you in and why he calls you Noah. Oh, true. So he he makes a reference that sounds like Adam took him. Or like... And yeah. is now like, yeah. you're going to stay with me. Yeah. I'm going to call you. I'm going to give you a new name. Your name is Noah. You're my disciple. You know, that kind of thing. And I think, you know, there's definite beef between Bartosz and Adam and Jonas still. You know, you, you've took my son from me. But what's crazy to me is that Bartosz continues because that tension is there sort of always between yeah. him and Jonas, a sowed distrust, sowed by Noah, his older self. Yeah. Well, and also the whole, yeah, their Martha situation from when they were young. But yeah. yeah. And what's interesting to me is that Bartosh continues to participate and follow. And I think part of that is, again, the sort of indoctrination of removing this person from everyone they know and sequestering them. You know, he's in a totally different timeline. The only way that he could get home is by continuing to work with Adam, a.k.a. Jonas, on this yeah. time machine and this whole thing. 
And so I wonder how... Also, what else are you going to do? I don't know if Bartosz ever really truly believed everything. Yeah. I think he just went along with it because it was the only thing he could do. He was trapped back in time. So, and these are the only people that know him. Yeah, he he doesn't want to go like, yeah, it's... Yeah. It was probably the best and easiest way for them to survive. Yeah. Now, on the topic of Adam taking in Hanno and giving him the name Noah, mm-hmm. I've done some research into, of course, Noah and the Ark. There was some pretty interesting stuff in there that I think you guys are going to like. Noah and the Ark features in Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. There are overlapping things between all religions that have a story of Noah and the Ark, including things like, you know, it's been uh, explained down to this idea of how big the Ark was, actual dimensions of the Ark. So, for example, accordingly, Noah's instructions are given to him by God in Genesis 6, 14, 16. The Ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. These dimensions are based on a numerological preoccupation with the number 60, the same number characterizing the vessel of the Babylonian flood hero. Its three internal divisions reflect the three-part universe imagined by the ancient Israelites, heaven, the earth, and the underworld. All three of the religions that you see this narrative feature Noah as wanting to save his family and a select amount of animals (laughs) onto the ark while God wipes everyone else out. Yeah. So... For example, in rabbinic Judaism, the story of the flood closely parallels the story of the creation, a cycle of creation, uncreation, and recreation in which the ark plays a pivotal role. The universe as conceived by the ancient Hebrews comprised a flat disc-shaped earth with the heavens above and the underworld of the dead below. These three were surrounded by a watery ocean of chaos, protected by the firmament, a transparent but solid dome resting on the mountains, which ringed the earth. So the dome of the nuclear explode of the apocalypse, you know, if you think about it being a dome. Noah's three-deck arc represents this three-level Hebrew cosmos in miniature, heavens, earth, and waters beneath. In Genesis 6-8, God refloods that space, saving only Noah, his family, and the animals in the ark. In Christianity, the bones of Adam were brought aboard together with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. This is uh, St. Hippolytus of Rome who said that. And then in the Quran as well, Adam is featured. The body of Adam was carried in the middle to divide the men from the women. There is a ton of crazy overlap in that. What I think ultimately what it indicates is that I think Noah was given that name to convince him that that's what he was doing, that he was trying to save his family, that he was going to build the ark to save his family, to give him this power and to give him this agency that did not exist when in reality God was going to wipe everybody out. And I think that that is just an example, like the lore is cool, but I think Adam calling him Noah is just an example of another way of manipulating him psychologically into doing his bidding. Yep, And that's why Bartosz's final line is, ask him why he took you in and why he called you Noah. Because he knows, Bartosz knows, you're just being manipulated. Yeah, wow. That's that's really cool. And I, I knew that the flood story appears in a lot of different religions and texts and things like that. But to hear it laid out like that, that's so cool. Yeah, I think it's like when I was doing research, because it's been a lot, I mean, it's been a long time since I was doing Bible study. Being getting a refresher on the fact that it was these representative of three universes or three yeah. worlds, which, you know, then ties back into the show yeah. was yeah. was really cool. One of the other things that I found out while doing research is 
about his book. Oh, boy. So this is, you know, basically a a breakdown of the timeline. And I'm sure most people already know this timeline. But the unknown, it's revealed that the unknown is the person who wrote the book. And we see the book in two different places during the show. We see Noah has a copy of the book and we see Claudia has a copy of the book. Claudia gives the book to Peter. Peter dies. Elizabeth gets that book. Elizabeth gives that book to Noah. Noah carries that book for 33 years. And then he's looking for the final pages, which Claudia had. The final pages, of course, were written by the unknown. And that book was given to Claudia by Apha after the unknown wrote it. Apha gives the book to Claudia. Claudia gives the book to Peter. Peter dies. Elizabeth takes it, gives it to Noah. Noah carries that book, oh my finds God. the final pages, and the cycle continues. Yeah. Wow. The final pages, too, are interesting because, like, I wanted to see if I could find, because he looks at a specific yeah. page and has a reaction to it, but it's obviously it's in German. But the translation for it roughly is our actions shall be led by the constant consciousness that mankind is not free in their thinking, feeling and acting, but are causally linked, the same like luminaries or stars in their movement. And what's important here is underlined, not free. Oh, I do remember seeing that underline. Yeah, yeah. And I think very much what Noah is trying to do, what Hanno is trying to do is be free for everybody. Yes. Give everyone the freedom of paradise that Adam had originally promised. Yeah, yeah. And then there's, there's a few more that are there. Um, And you can find the translation. Somebody, native German speaker, was kind enough to put translations on Reddit. So I'll include those in the show notes as well. But yeah, it's uh, very cool. So I'm curious to know, how do I say this? Do you think Noah, and I've asked this before, I think, in a previous episode, but do you think the reason why we have so much empathy for Noah is that he is a victim of the timeline as well? Or do you think that he has just like this inherent empathy because I I loved his character from the very beginning. Yeah. Well, he's a bit of a mystery in the beginning. He's intriguing. And then very early on, he's like, there is a good side and a bad side. And I promise you I'm on the good side. Yeah. So it's kind of like, well, I'm intrigued, you know, and there is that bit of mystery. But when you learn, the more you learn about Noah, the more human he is. And just I I think we've all, you know, been lied to at one point or another. So I think it's um his his story is just very sad. Yeah. I think it's we find empathy for him because we realize that he is just as much a part of the process and being led astray yeah. as anyone else. And so to PB's point, yeah, when you meet him, he is mysterious. He's doing these things. He's he seems like he's a bad guy, but he tells us through Bartosh and through other conversations that he's on the side of the light. To some extent, I think we take him at his word and we're thinking, okay, well, maybe there is something here that I'm just not seeing and he's not as bad as he seems. And so we're kind of brought along in his narrative and we're thinking, okay, well, he probably has redeeming qualities. It's probably not as bad as I think it is. But then at the same time, we're seeing actions that he's taking and going, I don't know. (laughs) This is kind of bad. (laughs) He's killing kids. And so when you finally get the reveal of why all of this is happening, because he fell in love, he had a child, the child was taken, and he's doing all of this to try to get her back as well as bring everyone he cares about into paradise, then he becomes a tragic hero to some extent. 
Yeah. The thing, though, that I find interesting is we actively see him like kill his dad. We see him cleaning up blood in the bunker, putting children in the time machine, you know, lying to his younger self or, you know, what what have you. And Hannah doesn't do any of that. And we hate <laughs> Hannah. We think Hannah's the devil. So that's actually great. <laughs> because Hannah, Hannah's doing it for herself. Yeah, I think that's the distinction right there. Hannah just wants to feel good. So everything she does is for herself. Yeah. Noah is under the idea that he's saving people for the greater good. Like he's being lied to, but he thinks he's saving everyone. Yep. I think that's it. He thinks he's he's in charge of the ark. You know, he's got to be sorry. You know, you got to do this. Only two. Only two. That's a great parallel. Is that better? Right the, yeah. Is that better? Yes. Than being self-serving, yes. you mean? <laughs> yes. Well, absolutely. I mean, like her, her self If Hannah was like <laughs> killing all these kids just because she wanted to time travel, absolutely. She's a monster. But I, I think at least, you know, I'm not saying what Noah did is excusable because he, you know, he did end up killing kids. But I, I think it's there's room for empathy there when you look at, you know, someone's intention they say the road to hell is paved with good intentions but they say that for a reason you know you know people intent matters to us if if i lied to you and you found out later well i did it because i had thought i had a good reason you know i didn't tell you this horrific thing because we were literally about to go do something and i didn't want it to affect your day at work or something like that and then you find out later that's a little bit more excusable than me just being like, I just didn't want to tell you, right? Yeah, but don't you think that someone being kind of selfish and sleeping with someone else and not, I mean, doing harm, but, you know, the type of harm that Noah does, regardless of whether he thinks he's doing it to save everyone and go to paradise, he he's like actually still murdering people. And is there, I'm, I'm not saying that I disagree, by the way. I'm just yeah, asking no, the question. That like, yeah. is someone being selfish and doing selfish things and causing some harm actually genuinely worse than someone who believes they are not being selfish, but are doing genuine murderous harm in, in what I'm curious as to when selfishness became inexcusable and murder, regardless of like your intentions is more excusable than someone right. being selfish. It's not excusable. It's not excusable at all that Noah has done what he has done. It's There is no excuse for murdering kids, for sure. But uh, Hannah isn't just sleeping with people. She lied about rape. She's ruining people's lives. She is, everything she has ever done since she was a kid is to try to get what she wants and to feel good. She lies about, you know, Katerina getting raped she lies to Ulrich about, well, like about so fucking much. She leaves him there in time, trapped in time to be forever imprisoned. Yeah. You know, like she's not a good person at all. No. And I'm not saying that she is. And I'm not saying that like what she did is OK by any stretch. Yeah. I guess what I'm trying to say is why is selfishness and selfish behavior worse than? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's because we're, we're yeah. judging both of those characters based on the intent behind their actions. Because if you boiled yeah. it, if you separated the intent and you just looked at the actions themselves, you know, cheating and leaving someone in prison and lying and all of these things, they are just as bad as kidnapping. And even if it wasn't directly murdering someone, it was murdering through the process, allowing it to happen. Yes. <laughs> Um, and so when you just look at the actions, they're both bad, but perhaps equally, yeah. but definitely both bad. 
But then when you add in that layer of intent and context, that's when we're able to feel either empathy or hate for someone. Yeah. Yeah. And because it's like you look at Hanno, who is manipulated and he's manipulated by a Hannah, by someone exactly like Hannah, which ironically is her son manipulated by her son. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, but, but also, but also then let's let's look at why do we not hate Peter or why do we not hate Charlotte? Charlotte has an affair with Ulrich in the alternate world and we don't carry as much hate for her, even though she goes to his house and talks to his pregnant wife. And, yeah. you know, we don't carry as much hatred for her, despite her doing similar things and presumably also for selfish means yeah. because, yeah. you know, well, of course, nobody yeah. cheats because they want somebody else to feel good. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, why, why so do I'm we, glad you're asking I'm just, these I'm questions. This is, this is curious. great. Yeah. Yeah. For the record, I don't agree yeah. with what I'm saying entirely. I still think Hannah's trash, <laughs> but I feel like it's like a mental exercise. It's asking, you know, let's compare and contrast and really discuss what like what the reason is for the way that we feel. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that in the case of Hannah, she's not just cheating. She blackmails someone. She every again, you know, lying about rape to get what she wants, but it's not just to get what she wants. She's trying to like ruin someone's life she's sort of destroyed yeah, she's trying to ruin, yeah she's trying to really break someone down you know and there's no issue you know you see her having an affair um with Aegon, and it's like okay well personally i have a very low tolerance for you know affairs in media and just kind of like that's the thing that i look at and i'm like okay well you know you're a scumbag but it's not just that for her she's it's literally everything else that she does it's the way that she marries Mikkel when she knows she doesn't love him. And the first thing that she asks him is like, do you think I'm pretty? But really, she's thinking about Ulrich. It's the way she doesn't really seem to give a shit about Jonas. Mom, the power's out again. It's the way she blackmails Alexander. It's the way she leaves Ulrich in prison, but only after she forces him to try to be vulnerable and say, I love you, because it makes her feel good to stick it to him. It's literally everything about her as a person. She is garbage. She is yeah. hot fucking garbage. <laughs> I hate her so much. But then we look at Hanno, who is doing all these fucking terrible things, which are inexcusable. The fact that he, you put a kid in a chair and they die, I would be able to potentially maybe think about forgiving him but he does it again and that's yeah. unforgivable yeah. you know you put it you put a kid in the chair knowing that they're probably not going to make it and uh, ironically you probably yeah that's the other thing he didn't intentionally kill anybody i i didn't want to interrupt you but i don't think i agree with that because i think his book tells him the numbers of, of dates right so he knows how many kids aren't going to make it when he puts them in that chair yeah yeah so he he kind of knows what's going to happen but then again we also see him writing the dates on the wall yeah so maybe he didn't know that yet. Maybe his book didn't give him the dates. I feel like my intuition on that is that he's doing the experiments. I think he's genuinely trying to send them into the future, yeah. or into the, pa into well, the past. I think that's true. I think he just not happy when it doesn't work, but I think that he does see it as just a part of the process, which I think yeah, is very much how he sees. Yeah, I think how that's how he interprets everything he does. I think when he decides that he is going to help Adam once Charlotte is taken and he yeah. decides that he is going to try and save everyone, 
I think yeah. it is a nothing in vain. I will do whatever I can. It's unfortunate that these negative things are happening, but they are part of what it's like a means to an end. Very Machiavellian. Yeah. Mm. The irony is for Noah is that everything was in vain, right? Yeah. Everything he did was for yeah. naught. I keep going back to the conversation he has with his younger self where he says the only person you can really trust is yourself, you. But he's talking about him, isn't he? No, he's, I think, I interpret that as, because you said that earlier, that he says, trust me. I didn't interpret says, that scene that way. He says, I am your voice. But before that, he says the only person that you can trust is like you and your instinct, like you have to follow your gut and your instinct ultimately. And then he says, I am your voice, right? He says that at the very end, because it, it's like, you don't know, let me be, yeah, let me be your voice, which I think is interesting. But I think, I think it's that line that he says to himself that ultimately helps him decide to break out of this, that he's going to kill Adam. You know, ultimately you can only listen and trust yourself. And yeah, while he's a teen, he's going to listen to adult Noah but eventually, all you have is who you are in this moment and what you know now. But don't you think that he, at that point, if that's true, then mm. at that point, he is realizing that he has a fundamental flaw in how he moves through the world and how he believes in people. And he would know that about himself, right? Like he would say, trust your instincts, but he knows that his instincts are going to carry him on this path. He knows that his instincts are ultimately going to bring him to that point. So mm -hmm. isn't by him telling him to follow his instincts just a part of pushing that cycle forward because ultimately his instincts always bring him back to listening to Adam? Absolutely. Absolutely. But I think that what he doesn't know yet is that his instincts will ultimately lead him off of the path. Like adult Noah is giving this advice to his younger self being like, I look at it as like, I've been there. I know what you're thinking and going through. And ultimately... I had to trust myself. I was doing the absolute best I can with the knowledge that I had currently, which when he says that, that's actually a fundamental principle of just general determinism. If we're not talking about time travel, you know, it's the idea that everybody is going to do the best thing that they can possibly do in the moment that they are in, because that's just what everybody tries to do is their best in that moment with the information that they have. So determinism as a principle is that no matter what, if you are given an orange on the right and an orange on the left in front of you, whatever orange you pick, you are only ever going to pick that orange because everything that's happened to you into your life previously shaped you and led up to this moment where your best decision, in your opinion, was to take the orange on the right. That's like such a basic idea of determinism because it's an orange. Like you think, okay, well, why would I continually pick an orange on the right? But if you apply it to any other decision, like, do I go to do you know, do I go to college? Do I cross the street now instead of waiting? You know, do I have enough time to cross the street? Well, it just so happens I watched my sister get hit by a car when I was six. So I always hesitate, you know, like all the things that lead up to this moment in my life, I could only ever make this decision because fundamentally people will always try to do the best that they can do. So in my opinion, Noah saying that line to himself is literally just a reflection of determinism as a principle, which they reference in the show multiple times. So, you know, and it's the basis for their time travel. They're doing time travel in a deterministic way where you can't change anything, which I love. That's my favorite type of time travel. So it's like he says to himself, you just got to learn to trust yourself and know that whatever knowledge you have in that moment, that's what you're going to have to base your decisions on. That's all you have. And then I am your voice. 
I don't take that as like, I'm the way, the truth, and the light. I interpreted that as we are the same. Yeah. I am, I am also your voice. Hear me when I say to trust yourself, which, you know, could just be another interpretation. He could literally be the priest saying, I am the way, the truth, and the light. I'm your voice. Trust me to make the decisions for you. But he's fundamentally, he's a character about being free against that determinism. He wants everybody to have free will. The line he gasps at in the journal is, we're not free fundamentally in our thought. He freaks out at the journal page about determinism. And I think I think it's just an interesting interpretation to look at it as he's trying to encourage himself to trust your instincts. I don't think he wants to guide himself the way Noah guides him. I don't think he wants to do that. I think he is telling himself in that scene, trust yourself. I got there. Yeah. Yeah. But but I don't know. Sorry. I just went on like a determinism rant. I loved there it. No, 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 it's really good. <laughs> Yeah. Because it does come into the scene where he he meets his younger self again right before he goes to kill Adam and he yeah. says there is no free will. Yeah. We are trapped in this yeah. time loop and there's no right. way out. Right. So but I think that that meant before he believed something different, right? For him to have that change and that flip, that character arc means that in that scene previously, he believed they could change. Oh yeah. So he has to say to himself, there is no predetermined thing. Mm. You have to trust yourself and that you will do your best and that hopefully, you know, we're going to change things. You have to trust in that. And then for him, right before he goes to kill Adam, he says, fuck, I was wrong. Yeah. There is, we are trapped. Everything's predetermined. Yeah. Trust no one, not even yourself. Yeah. Brutal. It's super brutal. The other thing too about Noah, like I keep coming back to the fact that he kidnapped his future wife's boyfriend at the yeah. time. Yeah. <laughs> That's fucked up, man. That gives me quite a bit less empathy for him. And also just that he approaches her as a little girl in the woods. Yeah. You know what's crazy about the timeline? He approaches a girl in the woods, gives her a watch, and then the scene cuts away, right? We don't see what he gives her. So we don't see their conversation. Wait, I do have... we even see him meet her in the woods? Because as far as I remember, no, she's we gone. Don't. It cuts. Yeah. But then she says, I met a man in the woods with a hat. We never see this conversation. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And to me, it was like such an important moment because think about it. All she needed to do when he gave her the watch was for her to open it and see for Charlotte. Because at that moment, Noah doesn't know yeah. Charlotte is her mother yeah. and his daughter. Oh, boy. If that conversation had been her opening it and being confused and being like, but Charlotte's my mom. Yeah. You know, he may have, they may have had that conversation. Does she, when she gives the watch, does she say it's for you? Yeah. She gives it to her mom and says it's for you. And then she opens it up and it says for Charlotte, which blew my mind because I, when so I. So does he know already then? I don't think he does. Then why does he give it to her? I think he gives it to her because she gave it to him when she's older. And so he knows that he needs to give it to her so that she can give it, that she can get it back and give it back to him, I think. I don't think he knows. I think he's just like, okay, yeah. I'll give her, I'll give her the watch. And then, you know, that, that moves forward because it's very yeah. adamant when he finally meets Charlotte that he is completely shocked. He's like, Adam yeah. lied to me. Adam knew that you were here this whole time. I had no and idea. she denies him. And that yeah. breaks yeah. my heart. I know. I Like know. everything you did was for nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Because your daughter is not happy to see you. She rejects yeah. you. 
Yeah. Maybe he thinks it's a different Charlotte, but I do think that's interesting. And and anyone listening who has a thought on this, please let us know. Yeah, please join in. We learned in season three that the original Tan House had that watch for his wife, who was named Charlotte, and it gets passed down and eventually gets to our Charlotte, who grew up with Tan House, um, the one who invented the time machine. And so... It's weird to me if Noah knows about that history or is at least aware of Tanhouse and the connection to everything, including the watch, that he didn't put two and two together. He wouldn't put it together that Charlotte was raised by Tanhouse and the watch has passed down through the Tanhouse family. And so... Yeah. Or maybe actually this could be an easy explanation. It could be that he just thought this was a different Charlotte because he never knew who took her and where she wound up. He didn't know that she was raised by Tanhouse. Yeah, that is true. Also, it's, it, you know, Charlotte's daughter is his wife. So it's not uncommon for you to name your kid after right. your mom. Yeah. Like, I totally get it. Well, OK, so like one final thought about that. If if Noah literally didn't make the connection between the Charlottes and like realizing that his daughter Charlotte was raised by Tanhouse, who also had a Charlotte in his ancestry, then I can imagine that would also be really hurtful to him when he finally realized that he spent this whole time in Wyndon and didn't realize that his daughter was right there. It was that Charlotte. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It hurt. It hurts him pretty profoundly. Like, you know, you were under my nose yeah. this whole time. Like I also just props for that scene because it how can you not have empathy for him after yes. that scene like he just he did it so well in insanity also i there are other minimal uh moments in the show where i feel like it speaks to noah's character outside there are moments where he is compassionate um where he's not entirely manipulative why didn't they kill helg when helg wanted to fuck off yeah you know? Yeah. And he actively is very kind to Helga, yes. especially as a young boy. And he tells Greta, you know, this boy is a miracle. Yes. Treat and like never forget that. And then she treats him differently right. afterwards. She's kinder to yeah. him. Like Noah recognizes the power that he has to. He's just completely convinced he's right and he's doing the right thing. And he's still compassionate. Whereas I think I look at someone like Adam, unfortunately, who is not compassionate, nor is he being honest. Yep, And I think that's that's a lot of where my empathy for Noah comes as well. There's a lot of little things that he does that are compassionate and he's not blackmailing people into doing things. He is not personally willfully manipulating them like he doesn't. I don't think he knows at that moment that Bartosh is his dad in the car when he says we're on this. And even then he says, I promise we're on the side of light. He's still giving him a chance to go with him. He's not doing what Adam does and saying, I will help you find your daughter if you do this thing for me. I think he knows it's Bartosh. I want to say he does he might. too. Yeah, he might, but he doesn't. I'm pretty sure he says your grandmother, Claudia, like a bunch, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think he knows. But I mean, to your point, PB, he doesn't manipulate Bartosh in that moment with like dangling like a piece of, of food in front of him and being like, if you do this thing, then you can get this other thing that you like. He did play off of Bartosh's emotions and capitalized on his rivalry with Jonas to get him to do what he wanted because he was able to predict the future and was like, mm -hmm. Jonas and Claudia are evil or dark and we're light. But at the same time, like if we were to rank all of the actions <laughs> taken in this show, Noah approaching Bartosh and giving him proof 
to make Bartosh believe him. And then getting Bartosh to bring the time machine to the rest of the kids isn't that bad compared to all the other manipulations and killings and things. Like they sat in the car and he was like, Jonas is bad. Well, he knows he's going to kill his dad. Oh, shit. Like, he knows You're he's right. going to kill him eventually. He knows that he's getting Bartosh in, in on this. He's telling him this narrative about not trusting Claudia, not trusting his grandmother. He's the one who's initiating him into this life of going back into the past. He's the one who's, you know, deciding that his father is going to go back there, be in Adam's clutches all alone for that period of time. Also that he doesn't believe in it, you know, because he will have witnessed that his father was not super into it the whole time and knows that he's going to kill him eventually. Because he's going to lose faith. Yeah. And what's interesting about that is the parallel between Jonas's, you know, the stranger approaching Jonas and saying, you can't do this. You can't because otherwise you won't be born. And Noah doing this, recruiting Bartosh, knowing he's going to kill him, knowing that if he doesn't recruit Bartosh, he'll never be born. And potentially they'll never break the cycle and get everybody to paradise. But what's so interesting to me about that is that, you know, Jonas or the stranger or Adam said those same words to Noah. Like, we have to do this. Otherwise, you'll never be born or blah, blah, blah. So it's just another set of instances where we see that consistency and that hint of how Jonas becomes Adam. Well, I think that's also a really good example. Like, you know, comparing him to Hannah, you can also compare him to Jonas and how Jonas handles the exact same cycle feeding, the exact same. Jonas has this vibe of being completely naive and innocent until he becomes Adam. But what I find interesting is that if you look at Noah, Noah is kind of the the blueprint of how someone becomes Adam because he also becomes Adam to some extent. And he also does horrific things in order to continue the timeline, but he does it actively to some extent compared to Jonas, who is just an innocent baby boy until one day he turns around and, you know, he's scarred all over and now he's Adam. And we wonder, okay, well, how did he become Adam? I think we can see how he becomes Adam by how Hanno becomes Noah. I I totally agree with that. I was going to bring that up towards the end if we hadn't talked about it already, because Hanno technically is Bartosh's son, but we know Adam takes him and raises him. So this is Jonas's son, and we can see how he turns out. And you can see that naive, I'm going to change the world in Noah, Mm -hmm. but we also see it in young Jonas as well. Like, I'm going to, I can change things. I can, they mirror each other. Yeah. Yeah. And that's such an interesting moment too when. Hanno meets young Jonas for the very first time and says, I imagined you very differently and has almost like no respect for him. And there's that like weird tension there. And then they become friends. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and they're really good friends, too, from from what the show tells you and what you see, which is also so heartbreaking because it's like another example of him trusting Adam, you know. But Jonas continues to not be yep. who he thinks he is. Yeah. And the, the sad thing, too, is when Adam says Jonas will betray you, I think it's because if he doesn't say that, he knows, like, you trust me, you'll trust Jonas. If I don't immediately plant an idea in your brain that one day he's going to betray you, you will go side with him. You'll choose him over me, which is the same person, but different times. And I need you to be on my side. 
So that's why he says, yep. you know, one day Jonas will betray you. Yeah. And the sad thing is, is it isn't Jonas. It's Adam that betrays you. But and you betray Jonas in the worst way. Yeah. Yep. It's the other way around. What a mess. What Fucking a mess. Fuck. What a <laughs> m- mess indeed. But a lovely mess. I love Noah. He's such a great character. Yeah. He's so I've good. Always, always had a thing for murder priests. <laughs> That's such a niche. I want you guys to know for the record that Hannah is still trash. I still believe Hannah is trash. I just <laughs> felt compelled to play devil's advocate. True devil's advocate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was no that Which was maybe a I really, shouldn't, but that was a fun exercise. There's another thing that I kind of wanted to mention is in one of the pages the final pages that he finds is a bit about turtles. Okay. Which at first doesn't seem important, but let me read it to you. So um, there's an immense field entirely covered with skeletons and took it to be a battlefield. However, they were nothing but skeletons of large turtles, five feet long, three feet broad, and of equal weight. These turtles come this way from the sea in order to lay their eggs and are then seized by wild dogs. With their united strength, these dogs lay them on their backs, tear open their lower armor, the small scales of the belly, and devour them alive. But then, a tiger often pounces on the dogs. Now all this misery is repeated, thousands and thousands of times, year in, year out. For this, then, are these turtles burned. For what offense must they suffer this agony? What is the point of the whole scene of horror? The only answer is that the will to live thus objectifies itself. It's just like a random page in Noah's notebook. What the fuck? What the actual fuck? So what? No. Okay. So what you're saying is the writers of the show intentionally like wrote that page so that it would appear on screen. Well, that's actually about the island of Java, and I don't know if it was written somewhere else beforehand, but they did put it in the show specifically to be on one of his pages. Yeah. Who are the turtles? Who are the dogs? And who is the tiger? Exactly. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's very much symbolism of what they are all doing to each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say, I mean, I guess the obvious answer might be that Adam is the tiger. His disciples are the dogs. And then the rest of the characters in the cast are the turtles. Yeah, Yeah, I think that's probably a fair estimation. I, I agree. I just thought it was very interesting that that it just goes to show how much care they actually put into the show that they are going to put something that isn't just info that they need, but something that someone would actually put in a journal or find comforting or yeah. Yeah. Tangentially (laughs) related to the story. Yeah. Speaking of what we talked about in our mini-sode, which is like character name meanings, Hanno is a diminutive form of Johan as well. And the name Hanno or Johan, which can also be John, the meaning is God is gracious or a gift from God. Uh, consequently, his sister's name Agnes also means pure yeah. or holy. Wow. Holy shit. So like, yeah. And they're, they're some of the, the heavy lifters in the story. Mm-hmm. Hanno as Noah and then Agnes are are some major time travelers who work for Adam. Yeah. And we don't really see much of their their relationship seems rather strained because yep. I believe Agnes works with Claudia for a while. Oh, the sad irony. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And he's like, Noah will never take you back. What kills me? Noah will never take you back. You have left 
You have strayed the path. You have betrayed us. You've gone to work for Claudia. Never will he take you back. Yeah. Little does he know the only way Adam takes him back is by her killing you for your betrayal off the path. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. God. That's a masterful twist right there. Yeah. (laughs) It's really good. Uh, God. Yeah. Because really the only thing that you could do to prove yourself after going off the beaten path. Yeah. Oh, man. And it's interesting because Adam knows it. So he leaves her. He doesn't tell Noah. Doesn't Noah say some line like, I have no idea why you're even still here. Yeah. Why you're still around. But he won't take you back. Yeah, well, he's waiting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's still around because she's going to kill you. I begged so, so much in my heart. Agnes, the betrayals that Agnes does, it was so brutal. And yeah. I'm sure we'll get into them. Hardcore, yep. man. Yeah, Agnes is definitely a character where like basically everything she did, I was like, no, please, no. Yeah. No, I know. Same. I was, oh, I was really, I don't know if disappointed is the word, but I was very upset about her character. I have because, some shit to say about Agnes. That might yeah, change your mind yeah. for her episode. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So we can hold on to all yeah. of this for her Because episode, I thought then, the I same thing yep. until I started doing a little bit of research on her. I felt like, oh, what an underutilized character. And, yeah. you know, like she's just doing these things to move the plot along. But I think differently now. So I will share cool. my theory later. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> Is that it for Noah? I think that's it for Noah. Yeah. We talked about Noah's relationship with Elizabeth her, a lot yeah. in the Lovers episode. So I think like as far as their relationship goes, we've covered some of that. I really feel the more I think about it, the, the more I feel like their relationship was one out of not desperation, but an intense need for paradise to be real. Yes. Both of them. Yeah. And while I have no doubts that they love each other, I think yeah. their adult relationship is very much two people clinging together on a raft and like hoping that what they're doing is right and they're the only ones that can really understand they both have doubts yeah i think in re-watching some of the scenes um that they have together i was struck again by a feeling of love from him especially Mm -hmm. in the performance that he has and when charlotte is taken in the scene where he says like i will will bring bring her her back back, i promise i will bring her back well there's no doubt in my mind that they love each other I'm just saying that their love feels to me like it's, you know, two people that potentially have doubts that see each other. You know, you're in this cult-like environment. You're both doubting what you're doing. And the longer it goes on, the more doubts you have and you kind of see each other and you're like, it's just the way she says, tell me again about paradise. It's like, it's this unspoken need. Please grant me this gift. I need to know that what I'm doing is not in vain. And he tells the story again, the parable, as it were, nothing we do is in vain. Here's what paradise is going to look like. And it helps them both. It helps them both keep getting up every morning and doing what they're doing. So I think also it is very clear that he's really all that she has. And he he doesn't design that, but it is a fundamental part of their relationship that she needs him. They need each other. And and she is alone otherwise. Yeah. And there's, you know, especially after her father dies. Yeah. There's the like whole, I was going to say chicken before the egg thing with them too. Like it's hard to know if Noah's feelings for her were because right. he was so involved in this prophecy or this time that all Adam had to say was, oh, that's your future wife. And he'd be like enamored with her on first meeting her. Like, yeah, you know, so true. it's really hard to tell. But that doesn't mean that true love can't 
exist, you can have a prearranged marriage and still be absolutely in love, you know? Yeah, right. So I don't doubt that they love each other as adults, but I do feel a bit strange about him killing her boyfriend at the time because he's a fucking kid. Maybe he doesn't know that. Oh my God. What if Adam knows that and picks the kids? Yeah. We went into this assuming he picked he picked her or him. But what if Adam oh, gave yeah, him a right. fucking list of people to take and he didn't even know. But the reason why Adam gave him that name is so that Charlotte didn't have anyone. <gasps> or Elizabeth. Oh my and by God. Charlotte, I meant Elizabeth. So that Elizabeth doesn't yeah. have anybody to rely on. I, I'm going to I'm going to buy that. I buy I'm going to go too. down that road with you. I'm yeah. going to I'm going to say that Adam had the list and Adam told him who to take. Yeah. It's super fucked up if Noah just picked this guy. And it's a little bit, in my opinion, out of character. It's more of a Hannah thing to do. It's more vindictive. Yeah. The other thing, too, is that in doing the research and looking at the timeline, he is not he is not still with Elizabeth at that time. He he picks her. He like does the the children, you know, experiments and kidnaps to the children. try to get their daughter back. Yeah. Right. Uh, to get their daughter back. Yeah. So, you know, previously in our in our previous episode about love and we were talking about like, how does she know that he's killed these kids and like, how is she OK with that? He actually has not done that yet. So yeah. so That's that makes more point. sense as to why they're fine. Just to just to keep in mind with that, because I, I, I also was confused and I was like, oh, but they're together and he's older, but it does come afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And Adam does it because he knows that would make Elizabeth alone and more willing to be yep. fall in yes. love with Noah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's fucked up. Horrific. <laughs> Once again, Adam is a monster. <laughs> Can't wait yep. for that episode. Yep. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, I think that's everything for yeah, Noah, unless so. you guys have anything to add. I have a couple of things, but I think they can be talked about in other episodes. Like it won't be the last we talk of Noah, um, but he is such an extensive character that I feel like there are so many scenes with him that I will probably bring up in our cinematography episode where it's mm-hmm. like there are some really good parallels in the show with just his timeline and young Jonas. But I think talking about him broad strokes this way is the best way to kind of approach how deep of a character he really is. So yeah, I feel pretty satisfied. It was a good episode. Cool. Yeah, I love great. him. I also love him. Baby boy. Baby <laughs> boy, innocent. One of my, I think literally, can I tell you the very first note that I wrote mm-hmm. down? Very first note that I wrote down was, Noah is just a sweet, murderous baby boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just a sweet angel, sweet angel killing, killing people. But all right. Well, thank you guys yeah. so much. Um, let's do some shout outs. Yeah, I'll go first. I'm PB or Pumpkinberry. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at Pumpkinberry. You can also find me at pumpkinberry.tv. But I'm going to encourage you to go check out Nocturne, which is a 36 episode, three hours long each about a group of people stuck in a time loop. So it's totally your jam if you like dark. Um, There is a podcast version of the show. There's also a video version of the show. Uh, It's a group of people that sit down and mostly improv their way through. So, and I was weaving in time travel while it was happening. So it's pretty fun. I I think you'll like it. You can check it out at tablestory.tv slash nocturne. It's actually fantastic. So (laughs) It's so good. It's one of my favorite things of all time, actually. Yeah. I I did have a moment where, because I was in the middle of it when I first found dark and then I watched 
dark and I was like, well, this is my fucking show, but so much better. <laughs> so I'm just done now. That's it. No, man. No, of course. Nocturne, I did, I Nocturne is its own flavor. It, it is because yeah. it's improv, right? Like there's there's so much that they didn't know. Like it was one person behind the scenes trying to like weave in time travel with a whole bunch of people. And we still ended up with a story so similar to dark that I was like, what? Anyway, it's, it's great. It's it's great. Oh, my God. I love that. Acorn. Yes, I am Acorn Bandit, and you can find me on joysons.com or online at Acorn Bandit. And I think I mentioned this last time, but I am also on another podcast, Avatar the Podcast, and we just finished book one. So if you are one of those people who has found Avatar since it came back on Netflix, or if you're a longtime fan, then please consider checking out the podcast. We really appreciate you joining our discussion over there. Oh, and I guess you can find it on uh, The Geek Generation. Or if you want just a handy guide to all of my links, you can go to joysons.com, J-O-I-S-A-N-S.com slash pages slash acorn. Oh, Hell yeah. yeah. And I'm Murgles. I am an animator and storyboard artist. I stream on Twitch. I'm making a film live on Twitch right now. So you can find me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Murgles. You can also find me at twitter.com slash Murgles. I do some role play stuff on Table Story. Yeah, that's that's about it for me. So thank you so much for listening to the podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it. And of course, if we missed anything, you can tweet at us at Radio Winden, or you can use the hashtag Dark Companion Pod as well as you can email us and be part of our conversation at darkcompanionpod at gmail.com. Of course, special thanks to Johnny Caballero for letting us use the beautiful cover art. Mm -hmm. You can find him on Twitter at Johnny Knight, and that's spelled J-H-O-N-Y-K-N-I-G-H-T. We're also proudly part of the Geek Generation Network. You can find more awesome podcasts related to cool nerdy things like TV, uh, comics, movies at thegeekgeneration.com. Thank you so much for diving into dark with us. And we will be back next Thursday with episode 10, which is a fool's paradise religion in dark. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much. <laughs> Perfect segue. <laughs> Thanks so much. Bye. Bye.